So we're, we're continuing the, the series of lessons I started last Sunday, um, looking at the formula that you may or may not have heard in, in your life, which is hear, believe, confess, repent, and be baptized. And for some people, that list just kind of rolls off the tongue. Um, you know, in a conversation about salvation, how someone is saved, some people might say, you know, hear, believe, confess, repent, be baptized, and just kind of walk away. And, you know, that's their conversation about salvation. Um, what I would like to do, and, and I think those steps are biblical, uh, that if I had five seconds to try to tell somebody what they needed to do to be saved, that's what I would say in my five seconds. Um, or, you know, if I trusted them, <laughs> I would say, go read your New Testament. Um, but I want to take those steps and look at those steps individually from a biblical perspective because um, salvation doesn't come from a formula. And that's what we talked about last week. There, there's not some magic dance I do for God and then He's happy. Um, that's, that's not how He has defined salvation. He has defined our salvation as us having a relationship with Him. And so I want to, I want to talk about these different steps um, in this formula that I'm not dismissing, that I have used and will continue to use, um, but I will treat more carefully because each of those steps needs to point the person back to a relationship with God. That's the basis of salvation. Um, it's that relationship. And so last week we talked about hearing and how hearing, we have to be careful how we hear. And of course, it's natural why hearing is a first step in salvation. You have to hear the good news. You have to hear what God wants you to know before you can know anything or do anything about it. So today we're going to talk about um, belief. And I, I've titled the lesson Saving Belief. Um, and I think you'll see why toward the end. Um, why I believe there's a difference in belief and saving belief. Um, but first we'll, we'll look at some examples in Scripture um, about why this is in the formula. I mean, that's what we're talking about. You know, in, this, in these steps of salvation, there has to be some scriptural basis. So if you want to look in Mark chapter 16, uh, and we're going to move through these couple of verses just kind of quickly to establish the foundation uh, for this. Mark 16, verses 15 and 16. Um, again, that's going to be a passage that's familiar to many people. Jesus, this is Jesus commissioning his disciples uh, at the end of the Gospel of Mark. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. So, in Jesus' own words, um, belief is part of salvation. Someone has to believe. Um, the other passages, or the other verses we'll look at, are all in Acts. You want to look in Acts chapter 10, verse 42. We see those disciples going out into the world and preaching the gospel to all creation. And we see what they preached and what they taught. This is Peter speaking to Cornelius in the household and the friends that he's gathered together. Um, in Acts chapter 10, verse 42. 
and he's speaking about Jesus. And he says, And he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Now here Peter, at this point, is only mentioning belief. Because they're hearing. The pe- he, he's, he, he knows they're hearing, they're standing in front of him. And so he's saying, the next thing you need is belief. And he says, those who believe are going to receive forgiveness of sins. And naturally that's going to beg the question, well then, aren't there different types of belief? Aren't there people who believe and maybe don't receive? Or aren't there entities, I'll give you a little hint, that believe and don't receive forgiveness? Um, we'll see that later. Also in Acts uh, chapter 13, verse 38. This is Paul's first missionary journey. Therefore let it be known, this is Acts 13, 38. Therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and through him everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. So obviously there Paul is speaking to the Jews. He's in the synagogue. He's trying to teach them, reason with them, show them from the scriptures that Jesus is is the one. He says you have to believe that Jesus is the one who's going to free you from those things in the law. And the final one we'll look at is in Acts chapter 16. This is the account of the Philippian jailer who's been hearing, who's listened to Paul and Silas singing and has gone through the earthquake and he was just about to take his own life because he figured that would be maybe less painful, certainly in his eyes more honorable than having the authorities take his life because the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cries out and says, don't do that, we're all here. And so now he's, that, that kind of was the straw that broke the camel's back. He's like, these people are different. They're not just singing in prison they're not escaping prison. Um, and so, beginning in verse 31, this is what Paul and Silas respond to the question in verse 30, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Uh, verse 31, they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him, together with all who were in his house. And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds, and immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. And he brought them into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. Paul says you have to believe. And in, these, in the, all of these instances, these, these short verses that we read, if belief is required and commanded, then belief is under our control. Belief is not something that happens to you. It is something you do or you don't do. And that is something our society does not teach about belief. Belief is something, if I hear it and I like it, then I believe it. It's something that happens to me. I don't exercise anything. It either agrees with me and I believe it, or it disagrees with me and I disbelieve it. Well, what we can see here is, 
in every instant, what these men are speaking, what Jesus spoke, what Peter spoke, what Paul spoke, they all said, you have to believe. And if you have to believe, then it's a choice. And that's, that's the basis, that's the groundwork I want to set when we talk about the belief here, that when we're talking about saving belief, okay, is that it is a choice. Now, you know, James read uh, a passage in Genesis 15. If you want to turn there, that's where we're going to be next. I was kind of surprised by this, um, but when I started doing a word search in the Bible for believe, that's the first place the word shows up in every single translation I searched is Genesis 15. And I think that is so incredibly appropriate that God would preserve the word just that way. Because Genesis 15, the belief of Abraham, is the belief that God points to through the rest of the scriptures. He is constantly pointing back to believing Abraham. It's Abraham. It's Abraham. And it's not because Abraham is the Christ. It's not because Abraham was sinless. It was because the type of belief Abraham had is the type of belief that God values, that God regards, and that God commands. And I think we're gonna, we'll, we'll see that um, in this passage. <clears throat> so let's look in Genesis 15. And I know James read them, but I'm, I'm going to read it again just to get us back into the context. Beginning in verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Now I'm going to pause here for just a second. Abram had been given promises by God back in chapter 12 of Genesis. Um, he had told him that there was going to be a great nation, and he'd have many descendants. And so that gives us a little insight into this next question in verse 2. You know, Abram's not just out of the blue saying, hey, where's all my kids? He's not saying that. Um, he's been promised that he would be the father of a great nation. And so this is a logical question in verse 2. We'll continue reading. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Since you've given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens, and count the stars if you're able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Just in these few verses, in our understanding of Abram's situation, I think we can gain a lot of understanding about the type of belief um, that God values. There are some negatives we have to consider. Um, I think it's safe to say Abram didn't believe just because he understood. And I... I think it's borne out in the text because when he had bent his mind and his will to try to understand how this was going to happen, his conclusion was, okay, if you don't have a son, the person who's born in your household becomes your heir, so that's what God means. It's Eliezer of Damascus. This one is going to be my heir. There's nothing wrong with that reasoning. I mean, that's totally appropriate. 
And so he goes to God and he asks God about that. Well, God says, nope, you got it wrong. I mean, he doesn't rub his nose in it. He just says, no, it's one who's going to come from your body. It's going to be your heir. I think it's very safe to say Abram has no idea how that's going to happen. And as you read further in Genesis, you see that he doesn't understand that. I mean, he and his wife, they work up this thing with Hagar, and, and God says, no, you still don't get it. It's not Ishmael. So he didn't believe just because he understood. He didn't believe because he had been shown a road map. Okay, God has explained every last detail to me. I'm going to make this mistake with Hagar. That's not going to work out. God's going to give me Isaac. Then he's going to ask me to sacrifice Isaac. And I'm, then he's going to save Isaac. And then Isaac's going to be the one. He doesn't have the slightest inkling that any of that stuff's going to happen. He has no roadmap. So, understanding how God's going to accomplish it is not the basis for belief. Seeing the roadmap God has laid out that God sees, having a clear understanding of that, that's not the basis of belief. It is a, it is a basis of a belief. Don't get me wrong. I mean, when I understand something that I, don't, I didn't understand yesterday, oh yeah, okay, that makes sense. I, I believe that. I mean, that is a type of belief. We're talking about saving belief. We're talking about belief that God regards. You know, somebody says, I, ha I bought a red car that cost $90,000. And I say, well, I don't believe that. Well, the next day, they pull up in my driveway, and they're driving a $90,000 red car. Now I believe it. You, you see what I'm saying? That's a different, that's not the belief we're talking about. We're talking about the saving belief that God regards. Um, this, is an, this is another one that convicts me. And I'll just, I'll just put that out there. He didn't believe just because God's truth agreed with his own musings, his own thoughts. Well, you know, I'm probably going to be a father at 100. And so, and God says, I'm going to have a child. So then I guess I'll believe him. It had nothing to do with how his mind worked. Was not, that was not the basis of the belief. And I, I mention that because specifically, what we... What I tend, I won't say we, what I tend to do is I open up the New Testament and I see stealing is bad. Well, I agree with that. Apart from God's word, I agree with that. But if I treat the rest of God's word that way, that is very dangerous. I don't believe stealing is bad just because God agrees with me. I believe stealing is bad because God said stealing is bad. Because if I pick up God's Word and I read something that doesn't agree with my musings, my morals, my conscience, and there's a conflict, if the basis of my belief is my musings or my agreement with God's Word, then I'm going to reject it. Because... I'm not always going to agree in my head, in my morals, and my thoughts 
with what I see in God's Word. There's going to be conflict. If there wasn't, I would be perfect. And I'm not perfect. So there's going to be conflict. That wasn't the basis of Abraham's Abram's belief here. It wasn't because what God said just agreed with how Abram had things figured out. He had things figured out a different way. He believed because of the one who spoke it. If anyone else had rolled into town, just, you know, Joe Schmo down the street comes by and says, Abram, your lineage is going to come from your own body. It's not going to be Eliezer. Abram would have said, well, who are you? What, what, what reason do I have to believe what you're saying? He has no reason, but he does have reason to believe God. God has already brought him through many things to this point in his life. And I think as, if you go back and look at the times that God interacted with Abram, you'll see that he's revealing more and more. He's showing more confidence in him. He's allowing him to see more and more. And it's because he's building that faith. God's not unreasonable and just says, all right, you know, sing me a dirge. You know, do, do, do something, and I'll tell you if it pleases me or not. It's not what God does. God went to him specifically and said, get up, leave your family, and go this way. He didn't say, figure out how to please me. God is not capricious. He's not fickle like that. Right? And so as Abram's been following God's commands, his faith has been growing. He has a reason to believe him. It's because God has kept his word. And not to go too far forward, but that's the exact same basis we have. He's kept his word. So I believe our basis is the same. It should be the same. Now we're going to continue using Abraham as the basis, as the example. Um, primarily because um, Abraham's belief in this text appears to be the basis for God accounting righteousness. And that's what we want. Not just what we want, even if we don't know what we want. That's what we need. To stand in front of a holy God, you must be counted righteous. If you stand in front of a holy God and you're counted unrighteous, you're burned up. You're destroyed. You're, you're sent away. You can't stand in front of a holy God and be counted unrighteous. So whether you want it or know you want it kind of in your head, I, it's hard for me to reason that, that kind of righteousness and unrighteousness, right? It's, those are spiritual matters. It's hard to think about. But what we're told here is that God says, this is how I impute righteousness. And if you understand he's a holy God, then regardless of whether you feel a desire for that, you have a need for that. We all have a need to be counted righteous in God's sight. So we're going to use that basis, that example going forward. And let's look and see um, what some of the New Testament writers have to say about this. About this encounter even. Not just Abraham, but about this encounter. Um, the first place I'd like to look is in Galatians chapter 3. If you want to turn over there. Galatians 3, verse 5. Now, again, just some background in the Galatian letter. 
Paul is really trying to save these brethren who are on the brink of turning to some form of Judaized Christianity. He's trying to keep them from going back to the practices of the law, back to the practices of you know, the fathers. And in particular, as you go through the letter, it's circumcision. But the argument he's making is much broader than just focusing on circumcision. He's making an argument for why their faith and their belief has not come through things like the law or circumcision. Right? And so now he's going to appeal to Abraham. In Galatians 3, beginning in verse 5, he writes, So then does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you, do it by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Even so Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. He's making the argument here that the children of Abraham are not, the chil- are not physical Jews. That's not the children of Abraham. Saying if you want to be a child of Abraham, you come to God by faith. That makes you a child of Abraham. It's not because you go back and do these practices. It's because you have the faith that Abraham had. And I like, it's kind of the title he gives Abraham at the end of verse 9. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. You know, Jesus is called the Christ. Just, that's a title, right? It's not a name. Well, it's like he gives this, this title to Abraham, the believer. And that's because he's the pattern for belief that we're supposed to follow. Now, one interesting thing that we see in this text, and you mentioned this on Wednesday in the class, is the inseparability of the ideas of belief and faith. In English, we can give them different colors and different textures and say they they hold kind of different meanings. The same word is used in the text in Greek. It's the same word. Um, And it's not a mere... In either case, it's not a mere mental acceptance of a fact. That is not what is in behind that Greek word. It's much more than that. It's much richer than that. In fact, it carries the idea of dependence, <coughs> trust. Um, it's a very rich word. And it's not just hearing a fact and saying, yeah, okay, I'll accept that fact. That's not what Abraham the believer did. Abraham the believer trusted and had faith. And those two words get tied together in this text. In fact, believe, the verb, and the word faith that's used as the noun, again, as I mentioned, are the same word, just one is in the verb form and one is in the noun form. So it's like faithing and have faith, or believing and belief. It's the, same, it's the same idea. Now what he says here is that those who have faith partake in the blessing of Abraham. What was the blessing? Through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Well, if I want to be part of that blessing, the way I partake of that is through faith or belief. Saving belief. 
Now, I'm, I'm going to make some assertions here that mimic or mirror the assertions I made about Abraham earlier. Because I think this is what the text is teaching. Belief in God and what he says, because we understand everything he's saying, if that's the basis, that's not saving belief. Because that's not what God, Abram counted righteous, was, was understanding. That's great if you understand. And I think we have, I mean, one of the reasons we have Bible studies on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights is to understand. Understanding is great. But it's not the basis, it's not the foundation of saving belief. It's easy to say that about Abram because we see the example. There's no way he could have had understanding. The carpet had just been pulled out from under him when he thought he had figured everything out. Nope, he got it wrong. Understanding is not the basis of a saving belief. It wasn't for him, it's not for us. And the second point is the same way. Belief in God and what he says. Because we have clearly seen the road map. It's not a saving belief. Seeing the roadmap is great. If we think we can see how God is working in our lives, I think that is fantastic. That gives you things to talk about to other people and give God glory. But just because you see the roadmap is not the basis for belief. Because what happens when you don't see the roadmap? What happens when you don't understand? If that's your basis for belief, your belief crumbles. Belief in God and what he says because what God says agrees with our musings or our sensibilities is not saving belief. If we read through the New Testament and we just don't come across something we disagree with, that's fantastic. I mean, seriously, I'm not being sarcastic. That is fantastic. I haven't experienced that. (laughs) But that doesn't mean someone won't. Right, But if, if just because what you hear in your first reading of the New Testament agrees with everything you already have in your head, just because that happens, that is not the basis of belief. Because your second reading, or your third reading, or your fourth reading, or your tenth reading, you're going to find something that doesn't agree with your musings, your morals, your sensibilities. And that when that happens, if your basis for belief is the agreement you have with God already, <clears throat> thinking of Him as a peer, or your, your sensibilities are on equal footing with His, as soon as there's a disagreement, what are you going to do? You're going to say, well, I'm going with mine, because I already have mine. Why would I change... These things cannot be the basis for our belief. These things are something we strive for. I want to strive to have complete agreement with God in in my musings, in my sensibilities, even in my reactions. I, I heard a really good lesson. You know, our emotions can be trained to respond the same way God's emotions do. The things that make Him sad... I should train myself that when I see or hear those things, I should become sad. 
the things that make him angry, I should train my emotions so that when I see or hear those same things, it makes me angry. It's not because emotions are your decision maker, but emotions prompt you to do something. They're motivators. They prompt you to action. We can train our emotions. We can train our sensibilities. We can train our morals. We should train ourselves so that when we see what God, how God, what God's character is, that we're in agreement. That's great. But that's not the basis for our belief. Because we're not God. And we're going to find a gap. And too many people get shaken by those gaps. They see that gap and they're devastated. There's a gap between me and God here. There never was. What happened? Well, the problem was your basis for belief was that you thought you and God were in total agreement on everything, and you're not. Your basis for belief needs to be that He's God. And you're not. That's why Abram was counted righteous. He walked out. I love that Genesis 15 even records the phrase, God took him outside. Because he took him out and he said, look up. You know, it's almost like a father leading a child by the hand. Come on, I'm going to show you something. You haven't seen it before. You haven't thought about this. It's going to amaze you. You know, God takes him outside and says, look up there. If you can count those stars, you know how many descendants you're going to have. And just like a child, Abram said, I mean, he didn't say anything in the text, right? But what we're told is, in his mind, he believed. Okay, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's because of the one who said it. This is the belief, this is the kind of belief that a sinner must have who's heard the gospel and is coming to God for forgiveness. That's the kind of belief we have to have in that state. But this is also the kind of belief that a Christian is going to have to have who's walking with God in forgiveness. I mean, in 1 John, that's what he talks about. We walk in the light, and his blood cleanses us. Present tense. This is the kind of belief we're going to have to have as Christians. Let's look at one more example, or one more reference to this, and then, and then we'll be finished. In James chapter 2, again, this is another familiar passage. But I want to keep it in the context of, of looking at Abram's, or Abraham's faith. James chapter 2, verse 14. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Now here's the part where he, he brings in 
Abraham. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works. And as a result of the works, faith was perfected, and the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works, and not by faith alone. This is a point where many people, I won't say many people, I know people have torn James out of their Bibles, physically. They're paper Bibles, not electronic, obviously. (laughs) They just say, I can't handle this, I can't deal with this. Paul, in Galatians, cites this example. It says, believe. Faith is what saves you. James cites the exact same example and says, Works with faith save you. And that is what defines saving belief. That is what defines it. Belief of the demons does what? Makes them shudder. I mean, we've been reading through Mark. We've been studying through it. The demons are in complete subjection and can only say, speak truth about God. I mean, they can't even tell a lie. They say, you're the son of God. You know why? I mean, they're only saying things that are true about him. They can't even disparage him in his presence. They believe. Absolute, 100% guarantee. They believe. That's not saving belief. That's not the belief that Abraham had. He had the belief that James points out here, and I think this is crucial about what he says in verse 23. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God and it was counted in his righteousness. Do you understand what James is saying there? He's saying in Genesis 15... When God tells us Abraham believed God and was reckoned him as righteousness, that's as tantamount as to a prophecy. Because it was fulfilled when? Genesis 22. When Abraham acted on his belief, when Abraham followed through with his faith, when Abraham did something with it, the statement that he was reckoned righteous is fulfilled. Now, I'm not saying in Genesis 15, Abram was not righteous. It was reckoned to him as righteousness in verse 15. But that statement and that reckoning was fulfilled because God knew Genesis 22. James is saying from our perspective, in time, that's when it was fulfilled. That same faith must characterize us. We must believe in God. And then when the rubber meets the road, we have to act against our own mind, against our own intuition, against our own desires, and act for Him. When it doesn't make any sense and when it goes against everything we know and understand apart from God, we have to act for Him. 
That's what Abraham did when he was sacrificing his son. There's no, there's no way out of this except that God's going to raise him from the dead. That's the only thing that could have happened if he had followed through with it. In Abraham's mind. That's the kind of faith we have to have as Christians walking in forgiveness. And that's the kind of faith we need to encourage non-believers to have as well. So, what kind of belief do you have? I mean, you're the only one who knows. What kind of belief do you have? We need to work on our belief because it's commanded. It's expected to have the kind of belief that Abraham had. Do you completely trust God in what he says? What works are you leaving undone because of your small faith? What, what's right out there in front of you you're saying, no, that can't be right? Are you not doing? We need to do those things. If you need help, if you need counsel, if you need study, um, you know, just let someone here know and we can do that and provide whatever help you need. Um, and we're going to sing a song at this time to help us think about those things.